Steve, happy Monday. How are you, man? Fantastic. We had a uh, snowy, wintry wonderland here in Boise over the weekend. It was a lot of a lot of fun, that's for sure. Got out and did some snowshoeing, some cross-country skiing right from the... I've been waiting since we moved out of this house for three years. <laughs> I was going to say, enough, I've heard you talk yeah, about it. <laughs> to have enough snow to go cross-country ski up to the top and then and then ski back down and finally had that opportunity yesterday. So it was awesome. And then yeah, my daughter and I built an igloo snow fort out in the backyard. And yeah, we just had a blast, man. That's cool. How, uh, what type of distance is that with skiing? Like, is it a pretty quick run once you hike up there? You're just down and back. Did you do it a couple times or what was that like? Uh, I just did it once. It took me, I can hike to the top in about 32 minutes and it took 50 to ski up there. I was surprised. So it was basically oh, really? 50 minutes up there and 10 minutes down. I was yeah. gone for about an hour. Yeah. Huh. So, that's it was a good workout. Cool. That's for sure. Yeah. Being able to walk out the door and do that. You finally made it happen. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I got out and hiked uh, Saturday morning, hit the trail uh, just before just before sunrise, which was pretty cool between the moonlight and then, you know, all the snow just like reflecting lights. It was uh, there's, like no need for headlamp, which I always enjoy for whatever reason. I just love hiking when it's quote unquote dark or the sun's not up, but you don't have to run a headlamp. But it was like three degrees when I started with wind chills, negative something and Knocked out 14 miles, didn't snowshoe, just hiking, hiking. But uh, yeah, it was a good test of, you know, some cold weather gear and stuff like that. Worked out well. And it's just, it's, it's just fun being out there that time of year. And, you know, as miserable as it might sound, it wasn't bad at all. If you're moving, it's just crazy how different things are. Yeah. Yeah. The, The one thing I noticed just thinking of like layering systems and stuff like that, like tops and bottoms managed well. Um, I just noticed how critical gloves are, um, but how easy it is to overdo it. So I don't know. I, I have pretty bad circulation. So my toes and fingers just prone to get cold in general. Um, but my hands more than anything would go from like hot and sweaty to cold and back and forth. So I would just, I was using like a really thin, almost liner glove and then had, um, a ra- actually one of those rag wool gloves that you like and it was funny when i packed my pack i wanted to carry some weight not a ton i was trying to shoot for like 30 pounds which i think i was ended up being at 28 but part of what i was doing was just testing all different things so i literally had like five jackets and you know different base layers and stuff in my pack because like, if i start trying something and feel like it doesn't work while i'm out here i'm just going to switch it up so i was trying different gloves and different strategies and stuff like that which it's, i've never set out with so many clothes on a hunt like i could have or on a hunt on a hike i felt like i was on a 10-day hunt or something like that what uh did you find anything that worked better than the next um the gloves were fine i think for me it was just a key of having something light you know with it being a below zero um wind chill i didn't want exposed skin for too long so i needed something light consistently but then there was times where i just had to add a little bit extra insulation so that worked um the clothing stuff i honestly never touched i ran um a merino base layer and then um just a uh what is it i just drew a blank on the jacket i was wearing it's one of the gucci fancy jackets oh it was an arteryx adam um the thing i really like about that jacket is it's insulated uh it's synthetic but the side panels are not insulated and they're really breathable. So it, it doesn't, you know, it's not a shell, so it doesn't have zips like a shell might. 
Um, but it kind of has that same idea where you kind of get cross ventilation or you're able to dump heat like from your core and your pits out just because it's so ventilated through there. Um, so that worked really, really well. Nice. All right. Let's get to listener questions. Um, I hit a few archery ones first. It's uh, We were just chatting here before the podcast about excited to get some better weather and get out shooting the bow. I've been shooting a little bit in the garage, but uh, it's fun to think about archery season coming quick. This first one is a sight question, Steve. Uh, basically, just kind of wanting to know more about different pin thicknesses, um, kind of the pros and cons on choosing different ones. And specifically, this guy was considering a fast eddy XL or a black gold sight. And then he also noticed the the SNS um, version of the site that you guys sell. And so he was curious why you chose the specific sizes. I think we touched on colors um, semi-recently, um, but I don't know that we've touched too much on pin sizes, at least recently. So I guess let's just start with, for you personally, sizing on pins and then how does that relate to the sns uh kind of addition site that you guys sell uh yeah i just prefer once you get out to 40 50 yards you know not i guess for me it's almost not even necessarily in a hunting situation but when i'm just you know 3d shooting or shooting orange dots i just prefer having that smaller ten thousandths pin uh just feels more precise um yeah. And so that's what in the SNS built version that we do, we just do a, a 19 thousandths pin for your top one. So if it's, you know, you're close to that animal and it's really low lights, you know, you've got that bigger, brighter pin. And then the second you start stretching it out, uh, you switch over to that 10 thousandths pin for just a little bit more precision. Like I said, it's more, um, I think that's more practice target shooting though, uh, related than it is hunting in a hunting scenario. It's, you know, you're putting that pin on a big old elk body at 50 yards, whether it's a 19 thousands or 10 thousands probably isn't going to make much of a difference. Mm -hmm. So it's just, um, I think it comes down to eyesight and, you know, some guys see pins and they're super bright and they kind of get like a halo effect to them. That's where the black gold, they have that photochromatic shell and actually does a really good job of, um, changing color in the, in the sunlight and darkens the pins. And then as it's twilight, that is clear. And so it absorbs more light and it really like legitimately works. So it's uh, a good way to kind of uh, um, navigate, I guess that the halo effect that you get with the bigger pins mm -hmm. uh, where spot hog doesn't have that. So it's probably a little bit more important that you get the, the pin size dialed in for your preferences, but that's just trial and error. You know, some guys are going to like one over the other that I just gravitated towards that 19 thousandths. Um, and then I do the, all the rest of them is 10 thousandths. I think the first, at some point, you know, they were all 19s. And then I, I used to do, say it was a five pin side. I do the top two or three 19s and the bottom two 10s. And I just kind of kept creeping that 10,000s pin up higher and higher. Yeah, this guy, um, he mentioned he does some tree stand like whitetail hunting and goes out west for elk. And he said in the past, um, he's had some shot opportunities, you know, in the timber, like for whitetail where it was shooting light, but he couldn't see his pins at full draw. So he was even considering doing like a, a 29 thousandths pin. I would say on that, cause, um, man, I haven't run into that in a long time, but with, you know, when I first started with bow hunting, uh, I'd had a, a site with the 29 thousandths pin. I've just found with a better site, you don't need that size just because the, the pins are so much brighter. So if you're, you know, 
background kind of context is with maybe a lower end site and you're thinking about significantly bumping up in pin size to gain the brightness, um, you know, early and late when it's not as light out. I would also say that if you go to something like a black gold, um, especially the, the pins for the size are just much brighter. They just do much better job of bringing in light. So I, I wouldn't say you need to go up to like a 29 thousandths. Um, he was considering doing that for a top pin and then dropping down to 19 thousandths and then finally dropping down to um, the 10 thousandths. That's you could, you know, a lot of this is preference. The, there's no right answer when it comes to this stuff. And as you said, Steve, sometimes it's trial and error. Um, on the trial and error front, do both, I believe they do, do both Black Gold and um, Spot Hog offer the ability to swap pins like at a later time? So, if, so you have a site or you bought a used site and you wanted to swap yeah. a pin, they both do that? Yeah, for the most part, if I'd stay away on the black gold stuff from the micro adjust versions, it just gets if you're trying to do that at home, it gets a little bit more complicated. But they're basic site; it's very easy to swap them out. Spot hogs, uh, super easy to swap out. Uh, the, the hardest part isn't actually swapping the pin; it's swapping out the fiber optic. Mm -hmm. um, and again, uh, spot hog that's a little bit easier. Black gold, you have to unscrew that photochromatic shell, and then all, all the fibers Wrap come springing out of there, and it's like a it, it's something that feels like it should take 30 seconds, takes you 20 minutes of trying to finagle those back into place. Yeah. Uh, but you absolutely can swap them out. And yeah, like I said, I've helped enough guys set up their bows that there's not exactly, I'd say for the, a good portion of guys will really like that a 19,000s for the top pins and 10,000s for the bottom. And then green is consistently, you know, 80, 90% of guys, that's their favorite color. But some guys can't see green, they see the red better. Um, I, I'm one of the guys that I, I hate a red pin. So that's why I run mine green, green, yellow, green, green for the, the color going top down. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then one, one thing I'll add for the low light and some people, uh, or you might not think about it, but playing with the peep sights, uh, going with a bigger peep sight, it's very similar to the exit pupil of a, a binocular, right? That mm -hmm. larger peep sight's going to allow more light in. So if, um, I used to, uh, for quite a few years, I was trying to hunt turkeys and, uh, out of a blind, right. And I'd run a, a bigger peep sight inside that so that you could see, uh, get more light into the, into the eye to see your pins better. Uh, so it's definitely, if that's a concern for the guy, uh, you, obviously there's a balance there. I think it's a little bit, there's more precision with the smaller peep sight. Um, but you just have to run a bigger peep sight. Then you seem to run a bigger, um, diameter site housing. So instead of going from that inch and three quarters to two you go with the the most companies offer like a large version which is going to be two and a quarter two and a half inches something like that um so it's an option to get more light in yeah he had one other thing in here i've never thought about but he's considering moving to a dovetail mount for his new site and he was questioning if an extended dovetail uh he mentioned specifically a six inch dovetail should have any effect on which pin sizes he chooses i've never correlated those um, yeah i mean yeah. in theory the you could go with if you ran a dovetail and extended it all the way out um you know your your the, how that pin size is perceived in your eye is going to be smaller or larger obviously because it's just it's either going to be closer or further away from you um so in theory you could run a dovetail extend it all the way out and run a bigger pin um and that, that would work, but I think the differences are going to be like pretty minor right there. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be dramatic. Cool. 
Another archery question that came up from another guy had to do with arrows um, and arrow lengths. And it's uh, it's a question I never thought about in his context. But basically, he has a 27 and a half inch draw length. And he says, I've always left my arrows at full length, partially out of not having access to an arrow saw and partially out of ignorance. But I also like the idea of keeping my overall arrow weight up a bit. So he typically has four to five inches of arrow hanging out in front of the riser, and he's wondering, not accounting for variables like spine and wind drift, are these long arrows affecting his accuracy, or are there any other downsides? Um, I mean, he mentioned spine and wind drift, which were the first two things that came to yeah. mind when he's talking about running a long arrow. Um, but maybe we can chat more about not factoring in that but let hit on that steve of why those two things come to mind with arrow links because i'm sure some guys uh, might be wondering what that has to do with anything right so spine there's two different uh kind of categories for spine there's static spine which is what you're buying when you see it uh, you're you know the box says 300 or 340 or 400 on it right that's the deflection i think it's a i think it's over a 28 inch span they put they put an arrow on you know uh, basically two little hooks or whatever. And, and so it goes 28 inches from hook to hook and then they hang a weight from the middle of it and how much that arrow um, basically bends, right? They're measuring the bend. That's the spine of the arrow. Um, so I don't know if that's 0.4 inches or what, what that is when you get 400 spine um, could be 0.4 centimeters or millimeters, whatever. Um, and then there's dynamic spine, which is as you, you take that arrow and you cut it shorter you are increasing the spine. If you uh, add weight to the front of the arrow, you are decreasing the spine, right? So a, um, a 300 arrow, if you if you go from 100 grain broadhead to 125 grain is gonna come more like a 320 or a 330 spine. Uh, and then it's actually the opposite on the back end. If you add weight to the back, you increase the spine. So what I do um, is a little bit of a, especially if you got a new bow, you're not sure how it's going to, how, how it's going to react. You know, for me, I'm either a 300 spine or that 330, 340, and then I'll just adjust the the front weight and the rear weight. And in the back of the arrow, you're talking either you can add a wrap to it. You could add a pin knock, you could add larger veins. You can kind of play with the weights back there to, to fine tune and get the spine that you're after. And that's just purely trial and error, right? Like you're going to have, um, if you go to a good bow shop and the tech knows like, all right, yeah, you're 28 inch draw, you're pulling 66 pounds. You should be really close to this spine. Uh, he should get you dang close, you know, but sometimes you go to start paper tuning and, and yeah, adding, you know, 20 grains to the front of the arrow, or the back of the arrow is going to, going to matter. And you also have to pay attention to your FOC, your forward of center weight um, to make sure it stays, you know, in that um, 10% range. Uh, so that's another kind of calculation you need to make, but uh, those are your two spines, um, dynamic and static. And then, uh, as far as wind drift, um, yeah, for me, I, it's something I absolutely pay attention to probably more so, you know, five to 10 years ago when I was shooting target archery a lot and, and was more concerned about how accurate, you know, I could shoot groups at 80, 90, hundred yards. Um, but I would just run the thinnest diameter, uh, arrow shaft that I can. So, uh, Easton with their four millimeter stuff, their, their FMJs, the injection. Um, I think they've got some new arrows out that fall into that gold tip has their kinetic pierce. Um, 
gosh, I'm, I don't really pay attention much anymore. I'll, I know there's a bunch of different arrows that have come out. Victory has, uh, it used to be called their VAP series. Anyways, this, the super micro diameter stuff, um, there's going to be a difference in, you know, 60 yard shot and that crosswind with those smaller diameter arrows, it's going to perform better. And also, um, you're going to get a little bit, you know, I don't know how measurable it is, but it, it's there, um, flatter trajectory, uh, cause the, you're just pushing less mass through the air. So even just in a straight line, as the air is flowing over that arrow, there's just less carbon surface to, to grab onto. Um, your veins are going to have more effects than the, the shaft of the arrow will, but the, still the, the shaft of the arrow comes into play there. So for me, it's the thinnest diameter uh, arrow I can get. And then I cut mine as short as I possibly can. I, when I come to full draw, that broadhead is a quarter inch in front of my rest, right? So it's, it's all the way at the back of the shelf of the bow, um, just barely in front of the rest for clearance. And I'll, I'll basically start there and then kind of cater, uh, going back to that dynamic spine cater of, of adding weight, taking away weight or, um, you know, uh, maybe increase the arrow length a little bit to get the spine that I need. How do you manage adding or how have you in the past, I guess, cause you probably have it fairly dialed now with consistency of setup over the years, but what's been your preferred way. If you say I'm going to add weight, take away weight. Do you typically do that with some sort of, you know, broadhead change going from a 100 to 125 yeah, running like a weight insert? I try not. I, I've always been a fan, um, of hundred grain broadhead broadheads and most of that has to do with uh typically when you add when a broadhead company goes to add weight to the broadhead they just make it bigger right that it's going to have a larger cutting diameter it's just going to have more surface area um actually when i uh, started and designed solid broadheads that was one of my things is i we i designed it so that um the difference between 100 and 125 it was the exact same broadhead we just added um or didn't take away as much of a cut out inside the blades to get it to to add that 25 grains. Um, other companies, like I said, they're, they're the short, easy answer um, sometimes is just make the broadhead bigger. And I'm always been a fan of kind of a more compact broadhead as far as, you know, you're just going to, it's going to in general tune easier, fly better, penetrate better. You know, there's, there's really no downside unless um, you're talking about cutting diameter. And that's, you know, that's an arguable point of, do you want more cutting diameter or more penetration? You know, I've always favored that uh, getting a, a pass through and double long shot and getting two blood trails. So, um, yeah, does that answer the question? Sorry, go on, I go skip back. So instead of changing broadhead weight, I will, uh, change, uh, I'll look at different inserts. So like, uh, FMJ is a good example of they have like a stainless steel insert and they have a brass insert. Uh, so you can play with insert weights and that's a way of playing with the weight in the front of the arrow without affecting the broadhead. And then on the back of the arrow, um, yeah, like I prefer to run wraps if I can for visibility, just as seeing the arrow in flight as it's approaching an animal and you can kind of get a last second chance of catching impact point. Um, and then also find an arrow on the ground, you know, just having a four inch white wrap on there is just, you're going to find that easier. So those are the, those are things I do to play with the weight. Um, and then the original question, uh, as far as far as just running, a, is there a downside yeah, I think so. Um, arrow companies rate, um, uh, you got straightness of an arrow, which does have an impact. I mean, it's again, the difference between a 0.003 and a 0.001 straightness arrow. You're really not going to see that, um, until you start shooting further distances that 50 to a hundred yards, um, with field points, it'll show up a little bit more with broadheads just because you're, 
Um, I've always described it as you're basically putting wings on the front of that arrow. And so it's just more finicky, right? If, if the wings aren't perfectly aligned uh, and that alignment comes in with the straightness of the, of the arrow shaft as well. So cutting an arrow shorter, in theory, you should get uh, the, the shaft straighter, right? The ends of it are going to potentially have more of the, you know, kind of the wobble in it. Um, so yeah, there's a downside. I, I don't, I don't think um, I would not suggest that to anybody. So I would just do what I've done is cut it as short as possible. And then, and then match the spine that you need to get the, to get proper tuning. Yeah. And this, I mean, it sounds like then this guy even said like part of the reason he hasn't cut it is partially ignorance, partially not having access to an arrow saw um, for a bunch of years. I didn't have it, my personal arrow saw, but I would even just take shafts in, even if I didn't purchase them there. And most archery shops are happy to, you know, cut them for 25 cents or 50 cents or cut or something like that. Um, so if you want to get them cut, you can find a way to get them cut. Um, since he's newer as well, just mention as we talked about like increasing the, or I should say decreasing the probability of issues with straightness. Um, you know, it's generally the best if you can to cut off, you know, if you're cutting four inches off of a shaft to cut off two inches on either side versus just hacking four inches off the front. Um, just cause again, the variance tends to be at either ends of the shaft. And so by taking two inches off of either end, um, potentially you're increasing the, um, the overall probability of having the straightest, most accurate arrow there. Um, and then just for new guys, I would say, keep in mind, um, like, especially this guy, if he's always shot where his broadhead is way out in front of the riser, and now he's considering bringing it back. Um, where it's behind the riser at all, just keep in mind that you're now sending a broadhead past your hand, um, which shouldn't be a problem <laughs> if you have proper grip. But um, I've definitely seen guys who get in like a bad habit of having their index finger sticking up or doing something like that. So just keep in mind um, as you bring the broadhead back behind the riser or back behind your forward grip hand to make sure that you have a clear path to the target that does not include your hand or fingers. <laughs> yeah. It has happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen that before. Steve, this is putting you on the spot and this is uh, I mean, we can, I think we should can and should have a full episode on this, but this question actually came up. Um, we pu published that episode recently uh, with Jaden from Hornady uh, about, you know, how do animals die? Right. And so we talked about, the different systems and affecting, um, you know, the, the lungs versus the heart and the different timelines of different systems, the nervous system, what have you. The question we got from a listener was, how does archery play into that? Or can we do an episode basically with the same idea, but specifically talking about arrows, broadheads, etc., instead of bullets? You know, the whole first half of that episode is essentially the same as we talk about different vital systems, you know, and compare the respiratory system, to the circulatory system, how they function, how they cause death in the different timelines. It's all going to be very similar there because the, the anatomy is the same. How we're impacting that uh, is obviously with a broadhead instead of a bullet. I think the same principles apply mostly in terms of you're still facing essentially a balance of penetration and upset or damage to that system so in general what's going to penetrate further may have in the case of a broadhead for example less cutting diameter therefore less potential for disruption 
and then say compare that to a nice compact fixed blade which is going to penetrate maybe cause less damage uh, directly you could go to like an expandable broadhead which you know has potential of expanding creating like a two inch wind channel but may not penetrate so that same balance of penetration and expansion or penetra- penetration and disruption applies to both bullets and broadheads. For you, Steve, what, and again, I didn't prep you for this. This is like thinking off your head, but that whole conversation and context, what applies or what comes to mind as we talk about that same idea, but translate that to archery? Any differences, anything to like well, yeah, obviously of. all the nervous systems thrown out, right? Unless you spine them, which nobody's shooting a bow intentionally trying to spine something. Um, so yeah, you're purely just trying to cut off blood flow, right? They're going to die from hemorrhage um, uh, from a loss of blood. So it, uh, you're just coming right down to the, again, what you just said there was you want to cut, you want to do as much damage as possible as far as getting uh cutting arteries and veins and and getting into the heart cutting out the you know cutting the lungs you want to create blood loss um and you just have to balance that with frankly um, my broadhead selection uh if i was a kid shooting a 40 pound bow and a 350 grain arrow you know you're going to want to shoot a small broadhead because that thing's not going to penetrate well if you're shooting um you're hunting deer and you could run a 500 grain arrow and and have a big broadhead on the front of that sucker and, and cut as much as possible. Um, for me in my, uh, Idaho is, you know, one of the very conservative States. And I think only one of, I don't Oregon only two left where you can't shoot expandable broadheads. Yeah. I think it's done to just a couple. Yeah. Um, so I've never been able to, to experiment with expandables like the, the rest of the country basically. Um, but, uh, so that's something to, you know, that's, uh, different cause you get a, with an expandable, obviously, you get the better flight characteristics. Like with a, with a fixed blade, you don't really you don't want to run a something that's got a one and a half inch cutting diameter, right? Because that's a lot of freaking blade you're flying through the air at three hundred feet per second. Um, so it's you, that one is one of the decisions, right? That goes into a broadhead choice is is getting good flight. Um, but when I'm talking about hitting the animal, I basically approach it like uh, I'm always shooting at an elk, and they're big, heavy boned animals uh they're they're thick they're wide it's a lot of muscle um so i just want as much penetration as possible and i think um really anything in that seven eighths to inch and a sixteenth cutting diameter is probably about ideal and then whether it's two blade three blade four blade um that probably doesn't matter as much as just the, the design of it um and uh yeah so i'm just it's one like i said when i went uh, and design solid broadheads it was all about um penetration so cut on contact tip um and shoot designing um a broadhead and then you know in the consumer's choice picking a broadhead um that goes for that worst case scenario of, of hitting the shoulder bone so you know you could put a field point through the lungs and you know that elk's gonna run 800 yards but it's still gonna die um and so uh, you kind of just have to balance that back and forth of, of what you're trying to achieve with, with flight and penetration and cutting and find what works for you. And, and don't get, you know, I would hear reports or stories of guys have like they pick a new broadhead and they have one bad experience with them uh, and they move on to another one. Like, I think you have to have a, a larger sampling than that. You've seen, you know, uh, I've personally seen like crazy you, you, the broadhead goes in and it hits a stout rib or, and it's right on the edge of the rib. And literally the broadhead 
the arrow turns 90 degrees inside the animal, you know, um, you see crazy like entrance and then exit, exit uh, holes coming out of a completely different direction. So weird mm. things happen when that broadhead hits the animal, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it would be, it'd be uh, good to do a full episode on that and kind of talk about the differences and nuances. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a situation where, like, say the theory, guys talk a lot about, like, theoretical performance of a bullet is it enters, it penetrates the body cavity, but then kind of buries in the offside um, and kind of dumps its energy in the animal, doesn't necessarily exit, but does have great penetration. That's not necessarily ideal. That's not, you know, a bow hunting scenario where you generally are counting on some level of blood trailing. I mean, it's always nice when they go down in sight, but you generally do want to favor penetration. You do want to have two holes. You obviously have to balance that with cutting and damage and a blood trail. Um, and so there's definitely differences. There's differences in placement. You know, you're not taking an arrow and trying to shoot for the shoulder and break an animal down like you might with, you know, a heavy constructed bonded bullet. So yeah, there's differences and uh, yeah, it'd be a fun one to, uh, to chat more about that for sure. So maybe that's something we'll do in the future. And if you guys have specific questions on that, um, for that episode, that idea, that topic or anything else, uh, shoot us that email to podcast at xomountgear.com. Um, but yeah, we'll wrap this one up today. Thank you guys always for tuning in. Uh, appreciate, uh, the support in terms of listening and sharing it, leaving reviews, uh, sending us your questions, all that good stuff. So if you haven't yet hit that subscribe button and you'll receive our full length feature episode for this week on Wednesday, and we'll talk to you soon.